Praise the Lord. If you brought your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at God's Word for a few minutes now. And we are, if you were here in the middle of October, I know some of you weren't, but in the middle of October, started looking at chapter 10, and I mentioned how we're going to be parked here for a few weeks. All right, we're going to be looking at some of the things uh, Paul wrote about the beginning part of this chapter, verses 1 through 13 in particular. That is our text for today. And so I'll be reading from the New International Version. You can read whatever translation you got as well. But let's uh, read this together. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. In other words, they didn't make it to the promised land. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Once again, verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. They were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm... Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So there we have Paul's admonition, his exhortation to the church in Corinth, to us as well, basically putting the church on warning, but also warning us if, if, if most of Israel, you know, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, uh, what makes us think that uh, God can't also judge us for our sin? And so that all being said, this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 really enforces the point that Paul makes at the end of chapter 9, talking about how we are all in a race And he uses Israel in this illustration in chapter 10 really as a prime example that not all who start the race finish well. You see, Israel, as we know, as we've learned in the past few weeks, Israel was greatly privileged, blessed by God in every way imaginable. And if if anyone really felt safe and secure, that would be Israel. And yet most of the people perished in the wilderness outside the promised land. And God, it says, was not pleased with most of them. Basically, then Paul says to the church in Corinth, as well as to us today, I'm warning you. Paul used Israel's object lesson uh, of their wilderness experience to emphasize the fact that, that how we begin the race is not as important as how well we end the race. And God wants you and I to end well. He wants us to finish well. He wants all of us to hear, well done, 
good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear, amen? And yet, most of Israel didn't get to hear that. So, what are the lessons for us? And so, looking at Israel, Israel had, as you recall, five remarkable blessings and privileges as they journeyed to the promised land. First of all, Israel was under the cloud, the cloud of God's presence. By day, God protected them, shielded them from the intense sun. By night, when the desert cools off. We're finally getting to that place, even though my air conditioner is still on at home. But we're getting there where the nights cool down and they needed heat. And so there was a pillar of fire by night. God's presence, his tangible presence, they could look up anytime God's with us. There's the cloud. There's the fire. God is with us. And that was a blessing for them. They passed through the Red Sea. They saw the miraculous hand of God take care of the Egyptian armies and such, and, and Pharaoh's army. And we, we, we saw God's hand there as well, even how the cloud went behind them, it was before front of them, went behind them, and God protected them. And then Israel was baptized into this incredible leadership of Moses, Moses being a friend of God. I mean, what, what, an, what an amazing pastor he would have been to be under. And then Israel partook of the food of God's provision, manna, if you will, frosted flakes. You know, what is it? Manna. Uh, every day God provided for them. We'll talk more about that today. And then Israel also had the presence of Christ, water from the rock, and that rock was Christ. And so they had the presence of God with them every day, the presence of Christ being there. However, what happened to Israel uh, and the believers there uh, is very tragic. You know, these things occurred as examples, it said in verse 6. Verse 11, these things happen as examples. Well, the message Bible, the paraphrase Bible says of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, the message Bible says the same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard, there's the message, we must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our way as they did. You know, they, they, uh, they set their hearts on evil things. And then verse 11 says in the message paraphrase Bible, these are all warning markers, danger in our history books written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end, we, and, and we are, and it says this, and we are just as capable as messing it up as they were. Thus, be on guard. Be on guard. Even though they, if you will, drank from the river, the, the water from, from God, they, they had the supernatural provision of God, even though they, they did that, they still died in the wilderness. Why? Because the Bible says God was not pleased with most of them. And the reasons we're going to start looking at today, and there are five reasons. We'll look at the first one today. But number one was greed. Two was rebellion. Thirdly was, was grumbling and complaining, then idolatry, and then immorality. And we're going to look at these five things hitting number one today, talking about greed. Uh, let's go back for a minute, if you will, and think about the days of Jesus. Judas, one of the disciples, apostles, was, was uh, uh, there when the dead were raised. He witnessed the cripples being healed, the blind receiving their sight. I mean, Judas had the world's finest teacher 
deliver the pure, unadulterated Word of God. Jesus Christ, you know, being, being an excellent teacher, uh, day after day, Judas beheld the very glory of God as it was revealed through His Son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, talk about a man under the cloud. I mean, he had privilege beyond privilege of being under Christ and His example. And this man was really immersed into one greater even than that of Moses. And yet Judas, the Bible says, ended his life by hanging himself and went down in history as the one referred to as on the night he was betrayed that I read from 1 Corinthians 11 as, as we prepared for communion. You see, Judas was counted among the twelve, but Judas as well, Brian's terminology, died in the wilderness. All right? He did not finish well. And if his case was the only one in the Bible, that'd be, that would be tragic enough. But, but unfortunately, we see this happening not just in Bible times, but in our day as well. Unfortunately, Judas was just the beginning of a long and terrible list of servants who began with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but failed, but failed because of a lack of self-control. I mean, Judas had a problem with money. The silver meant more to Judas than the Savior. He, he traded uh, the master for, if you will, mammon. Now, since I've been a Christian, since 1983, for 40 years now, I can't recall how many lives I have personally witnessed from great televangelists to musicians to spiritual leaders, well-known pastors, lesser men in ministry who have literally traded their spiritual birthright for a night of sex. Some of these men I have admired, I have looked up to, and I won't go into detail, but even in the news in the past few weeks, it's happening again. But I've watched, and in the words of Job, I've seen their increase uprooted. Now, my question then is, how can you and I, how can we avoid the same sad failure that befell these men of God and the Israelites in the wilderness of Sinai. In other words, maybe a better way of, of putting this is, is if you and I had a better understanding of why they failed, that might help us in the long run as well. We have already seen that their failure was not due to a lack of resources or opportunity. Think about it this way. God planned for Israel to succeed. God's plan for you as well to, to succeed. Uh, God wanted them to succeed. He gave them everything they needed so they could finish the race well. God promised to go before them, to walk beside them, to work through them, to overshadow them, to bring them safely into the land, into the fullness of His promises and His purpose. All that remained for the people of God to move forward was a willing, trusting obedience. But unfortunately, that's where the problem lies. In chapter 10 that I read this morning, Paul continues his lesson about how to run a successful race by listing then the specific, and I'll call it for what it is, the specific sins that got in the way of Israel finishing their wilderness journey. I mean, greed, idolatry, immorality, rebellion, grumbling, these were all the keys to Israel's undoing. 
And each of these things reflects really a fundamental flaw in, in their spiritual moral character, and each is symptomatic of a lack of basic self-control. Now, the problems for the Corinthian church, and, 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 and even for us today, they are there if we don't learn from the, their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I, for one, have learned how not to do things by watching the failures of others. In other words, if, if you weren't successful at that, maybe I can learn something so I don't have to walk that same path kind of thing. And so the first one that Paul deals with is, is that on greed. Next week, by, you know, by the Lord's will, we'll, we'll talk about rebellion and grumbling. But greed defined, as you can see on the PowerPoint, it is intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. Selfish and excessive desire for more of something as money than is needed. Uh, and then an overwhelming desire to have more of something than is actually needed. A strong desire for more. Have you ever asked yourself how much is enough. How much is enough? How many have watched, and I like this movie, is back in the early 2000s, I think six, uh, Over the Hedge. Remember the movie Over the Hedge, animated cartoon movie? You remember that one? Remember R.J. the raccoon? He says this, for humans, enough is never enough. For humans, enough is never enough. You know, and, and so basically, how much is enough? Think about this. 40 pairs of shoes would be extravagant by most people's standard, let alone 6,000 pairs of shoes. Remember years ago, and I'm dating myself with this illustration, and I think most of you will identify with it, but according to the news reports, Imelda Marcos, wife of Ferdinand Marcos of the Philippines, she had 6,000 pairs of shoes and counting, and they were just part. They were just a part of her elaborate and lavish style of living. Never satisfied, she kept on acquiring more and more and more. And so, ladies, if you have 40 pairs, just tell your husband that 40 pair is nothing compared to 6,000. All right. There was another news report 11 years ago, back in 2012. Imelda Marcos's famous collection of shoes was partly destroyed by termites and floods after laying in storage in the Philippines for 26 years since her and her husband were exiled. Part of Imelda Marcos's famous shoe collection, some of her dresses and husband's clothes were damaged by bugs and flood water. Mrs. Marcos left at least 1,220 pairs of shoes behind when she and her dictator husband were driven out of the Philippines in, in the 1986 revolt. Uh, 756 pairs of her shoes remain undamaged in Marikina Shoe Museum. If, if I mean, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm accepting that there is such a thing. Not that I'd ever want to go to a shoe museum, you know what I'm saying? But um, while this is a rare case for shoes, nevertheless, we in society today have become obsessed with things. With things. John warns us, 1 John 2.15, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I think this message is timely as we're moving into Christmas when we have to buy stuff, buy st we we're told we have to buy stuff, buy stuff, buy stuff for people that really don't need more stuff. All right? 
Uh, James tells us friendship with the world is enmity against God. Now, how quickly you and I can read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these first few verses, and then turn a finger of accusation against Israel, and yet we practice the same things ourselves. How much is enough? In Hank Ketchum's comic strip, Dennis the Menace, ever heard of him? Dennis is looking through a catalog saying, and I love this one line, this catalog got a lot of toys I didn't even know I wanted. When I read that, my mind goes back to when I was a kid, and we used to get, and you can find them, matter of fact, you can find them in PDF form now, I looked this past week and they're there, the Sears Wish Book. It wasn't a little flyer that you get in the newspaper nowadays. It was a book maybe an inch thick. I couldn't wait to get that book because uh, there's stuff in that book that I didn't even know I wanted. You know what I'm saying? J.C. Penney had the same thing. And we, we grew up that way, and, and it's like, okay, we would mark whatever page. We'd, we'd you know, dog ear the pages and so, and it's like, I like that, I like that, I like that. We'd make out our Christmas wish list kind of thing, and you hope for whatever. I mean, those, those actually, those, those uh, books, those magazines, uh, catalogs back then are actually worth some money today. They become collector's items kind of thing. Uh, you say, well, I would never do that. Well, all I have to do is walk into a, a lawn and garden, you know, power place, and I go, I love lawn and garden equipment, you know, like, you know, power tools and stuff and that kind of thing. Or I can walk into, with Pastor Jim, into a motorcycle shop or a UTV shop and thinking, wow, there's a motorcycle here or a UTV here that I don't have. There's a new Polaris Expedition out. I haven't seen it yet, but I like the pictures of it online, you know, you know what I'm saying? We can do that in, in all kinds of different ways or, or, or pretend that, well, I don't do that, but you go to a mall and you leave the mall thinking, well, I got to have a new gold ring, I have to have a new dress, I have to have more jewelry, I have to have this, that, and everything else. Things you didn't even know you wanted prior to going into that mall. All right? Am I preaching to anybody today? All right? There's stuff here I didn't even know I wanted. Well, Jesus warns us in the parable of the sower that the riches, worries, and cares of this life choke out the seed and never brings the fruit to maturity. And then Luke 12, 15, I'll refer to it later. Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Church, all our stuff someday is going to burn. It's just stuff. Let me also pause and say, it's not wrong to have stuff. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to have wealth. Abraham was very wealthy. It's, it's, you know, money is neutral. It's the love of money that it's, that's the trap for you. And so, basically, God has given us all things freely to enjoy, but as Mary Lou said, we are blessed to be a blessing to others. That's why I love right here and what's going on right here, and even what what Bill and Charlene are doing with Resurrection Street Ministry. You know, it's like, this is cool to give, I love giving stuff away. It's fun. Amen? 
It's fun to give to others. And so basically, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Ephesians 4.19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with, here it is, with a continual lust for more. How much is enough? Humans, enough is never enough. Humans, as R.J. the raccoon said in the movie, are never satisfied. Even from last Sunday's sermon where Paul says, you know, Demas, having loved this present world, has forsaken me. And so we have to be careful that we, you and I, stay focused. Once again, it's not wrong to have stuff, but it is wrong for stuff to have us. All right? And so, how many would agree that we today live in a materialistic society? Kind of like sin, it takes more and more to get less and less. Jim Elliott, a missionary who was martyred for his faith, Jim Elliott understood this reality when he wrote in his journal, and I quote, A person is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Powerful quote. You see, our culture, though, tells us, you know something? You need to acquire more stuff. It's the path to success, to contentment and happiness. Not only are we encouraged to buy, 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 but if we don't have the money, hey, I got a solution. Just put it on credit card. May I suggest here on the second Sunday in November not to go into debt buying Christmas presents for others. That's foolishness. I'm not against credit cards. Dave Ramsey is. I'm not. You can use them, but pay them off every month. And yet what I see as as a general observation in America, the personal credit card debt is also and has been increasing more per capita than ever before. It all boils down to this problem that we call greed. We never seem to have enough. We always want more. We can't stand it. If the neighbor gets a new car, then, hey, I think my car's getting old. I better go to the car dealership and look for a different car. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens. Or, or they move out of the neighborhood and get a nicer house and have been in the nicer side of town. All of a sudden, we have to move out and get a No. Be, be, we'll talk about contentment in a minute, all right? See, greed, greed increases stress, fosters discontent, and results in unfulfilled desires. And this is really what plagued the Israelites in the wilderness. Paul defined their greed as to crave evil things. In other words, they, become, they became discontented with their current situation and began to long for what they had known in Egypt. And that's why going back to verse 6, now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. The New American Standard Bible says we should not crave evil things as they also craved. The Message Bible, we must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. Now Paul when he was writing this down in 1 Corinthians 10, was referring to an incident back in Numbers chapter 11. Please turn there. Numbers chapter 11. First of all, reading 4 through 6. I'll be walking you through this a little bit. Here's what Paul was referring to. 
in cross-references. Numbers 4, or excuse me, Numbers 11, verse 4 through 6. And the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except what? Except this manna. Church, remember, it was the manna that God provided. And so what what are we saying here? They were not satisfied with the provision of God. The rabble with them, the NIV says, began to crave other food. Now look at the effect that greed had on their spirit. They were growing tired of manna. What is it? You know, frosted flakes. The Israelites longed for the variety of food they had known in Egypt. Now to them, it did not matter that Egypt represented slavery. Egypt represented bondage and hardship and darkness. It didn't matter that manna in the camp in the wilderness represented freedom, deliverance, and an invitation to be involved in the purposes of God. All they cared about was feeding their stomachs their flesh. They were tired of the daily breakfast cereal, so to speak. Soon they began to feel that God had shortchanged them. God, if you're really in the throne, you'd give us some meat. We're tired of this bread, this manna. See, in their minds, the rather bland manna could not compare with the rich foods of Egypt. So here's the warning. Greed had so consumed them that they preferred a life of slavery in Egypt to a life of freedom in the presence and purpose of God if it meant that they could indulge in their desires. If they could have their way instead of God's way. Although angry at the people's stubbornness and greed, interesting enough, God answered their cry for meat. However, it was accompanied by judgment for their sin. Going on, the Lord said that he would send meat not for a day or two, but for a month, and that the people would eat it, Numbers 11, verse 20. And it says here, until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Now, according to Numbers 11, 31, If you're following along, that night a wind from the Lord brought quail from the sea into the camp in such great quantities. If you read, it was three feet deep. And it says, in all directions for a day's walk. That's a lot of birds. That's a lot of birds. That's a lot of meat. And it says that people spent two days simply gathering them up. God says, you want meat? I'm going to give you meat, but you're not going to like it. All right. And as the people began to eat the quail, the judgment of God fell. Numbers 11, 33 and 34. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth uh, Hadavah. 
because there they bury the people who have craved other food. In other words, God says, okay, you want meat, you're going to get meat, but you're going to loathe it. It's going to come out of your mouth, your nostrils. You're going to be so sick and tired of this, and I'm going to teach you not to complain, basically. We're going to get to crumbling and complaining later on, not this week. But Paul simply feared here the Corinthian Christians would follow Israel's bad example and end up being disqualified for the race. Now, the Corinthians certainly did not face the same prospect daily having the same diet as the Israelites did. But, they, if you recall, they had their own problems with food and other appetites. Remember, part of their pagan past had involved going to the idol temples with friends for wild orgies of food and sex. Eating food that was sacrificed to idols was common, and many of the Christian believers were simply reverting back to some of these old habits. Unbridled greed and uncontrolled desires threatened to destroy their witness and simply shipwreck their faith. And many were insisting, hey, we're free in Christ. We can indulge in whatever desire we have regardless of the effect of behavior that that has on those who were weak in the faith. We talked about that in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. Even Paul says, hey, I don't want to be disqualified for the race as well. See, this was true with regard to eating meat for for the Corinthians that had been sacrificed to idols. Remember the big question in these chapters of what about my rights? And they were coming across, well, I have the right to do what I want to do. You know, and, and, and you think about that today, uh, and it's greed. You know, greed is simply putting natural human desires ahead of God's desires. It's pursuing physical and carnal things at the expense of spiritual things. It's pleasing your flesh at the expense of not nurturing your spirit man. Left unchecked, greed can grow very large in your heart, in your life, and it can, it can consume everything about you, if not, if not uh, checked by God. That's why Paul is saying this sin is so deadly and so dangerous. Now, for the Israelites, it was the desire for the good life of Egypt, even if it meant going back and being slaves again. For the Corinthians, it was the urge to, to greatly satisfy uh, and, and to gratify the lust of the flesh and abuse their freedoms in Christ. Now, for us, it could be a number of things. In other words, we, you and I, are in the grip of greed if there is something that we desire more than we desire God. Now, I'll get into idolatry later on, but greed. If there's something or some things more important to us than knowing the Lord and seeking His will and to walk in His way, then it's gripping our heart. How many remember the the story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15? Really short here, uh, the father was rich and generous. At the, as the years passed by, the younger son became aware of his father, you know, setting aside a good portion of money for him and his older, the elder brother. Like any kid his age, he dreamed of what he could do if he only had the bucks. You know, if I got the money, I can travel. There's adventure, fine clothes, food, wine, any possession I wanted. Well, going to his father, he asked for his inheritance. Father, give me, you know, what's coming to me. Now, understand, his desire was not in opposition to his father's purpose. In fact, the father was the one who planned for the inheritance. 
It was intended, though, to be a great source of blessing from the Father. Here it is, in the Father's timing. But what started out as a blessing ended with the blunder of this young man's life. The end result was not due to the generosity of the father, but the failure of the son. He finally came to his senses. Instead of saying, Father, give me, he says, Father, make me one of your servants. I mean, the hogs are eating better than I am, you know. And basically, a desire that becomes greedy may not be evil in and of itself. It may simply be something that lies outside of God's will at a particular time. In other words, God's will for you might be a new and better job. It might be a promotion or a marriage partner or a new car or a new house or whatever. But even though those things might be God's will for your life, you also have to know God's timing for those things as well. Now, within the framework of God's will and plan, those things are fine. However, if we pursue them stubbornly without regard to God's desire, we cross the line into greed. In other words, a healthy desire then becomes a craving for an evil thing. This is when the natural overtakes the spiritual. And it's so easy, church, for us to lust after the wrong things, to pursue the will of the flesh versus the will of God. In a chapter titled Living in Canaan, in his book From Shadow to Substance, author Roy Hessen defined the word lust. He said, in the Bible, the word lust does not only apply to sex. Lust is a clamant, demanding attention desire that wants something and wants it now and is unsubordinated to the will of God. In other words, because people would lust after things, they want it now. It's a wishing, 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 he says, for what God has not given us. The fact that we do not have that thing means that, at the moment at least, it's not his will for us. Maybe he has it for us in the future, but we are not content to wait. We wish to have it now. Israel, he writes, was wishing, wishing, wishing for the melons and onions of Egypt, but God had not given them the melons and the onions of Egypt. He had given them manna, and this lusting in their hearts made them lose their taste for that which God had given them, the precious, miraculous bread from heaven. This is nothing at all, or there is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes, they said. Manna for breakfast, manna for dinner, manna for supper. Sounds like Keith Green in this song. Who of us does not find himself wishing sometimes for what God has not given us, perhaps for a position God has not given us, or for possessions God has not given us, or for success God has not given us. For some, it may be wishing, wishing for a husband God has not given, or for children God has not given, or for a better job that God has not given. This wishing always makes us lose our taste for Jesus, the heavenly manna. And then he he writes this. He says, we just cannot say truthfully, that he is satisfying us when we have this lusting for something else in our hearts. Think about that. Church, this is why self-control is so important and why Paul himself exercised such strict discipline over his own body, bringing it into subjection so he would not become, chapter 9, 
disqualified for the race. Now, Paul was a normal man. He had the same natural desires and urges as anyone does. However, he learned to control them, to subject them to the will of God. He, he even said, you know, I die daily. You know, that kind of thing. And, and he didn't want these things to sidetrack him on his journey in his race. Now, you and I need to be just as careful as Paul or our desires will consume us and dominate our lives as well. Moreover, those who are governed by greed stand in opposition to God. Uh, Paul stated it this way to the church in Philippi when he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, 18 and 19. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, he says many live as enemies of the cross. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction, their God is their, is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, their mind is on earthly things. See the connection? Their God is their stomach, their mind is on earthly things. In other words, these things aptly describe people consumed by greed. They put the physical ahead of the spiritual, the temporal ahead of the eternal. Now, bearing the cross of Christ is not as important to them as gratifying their, their fleshly, selfish desires. And I would add this morning that we in America face this sort of thing every single day. I mean, just go, as I said, to the nearest shopping mall, and you'll, you'll come away saying, I need to have that and that and that and that, and, and we have to keep up with you know, the, the Joneses, so to speak, and, and, and if we can't get it right now, hey, we're going to camp out for Black Friday deals coming up in two weeks. All right? And all these things mean more to us than serving God. They get in the way, they trip us up, they threaten to prevent us from finishing the race. Now, saying all that, I will also say, looking at the Bible, that Esau, if you remember Esau and Jacob, Esau is a good illustration of, of this whole thing of trading his birthright, if you will, to his brother over a bowl of soup, over some lentil stew, if you will. And, and basically, he, he didn't want to do things God's way. He let his stomach dictate to him what was most important. He got in from a, a day of hunting. It's like, man, I'm famished. Hey, brother, what are you cooking? Oh, I got, some, I got some chili over here. Well, if you can serve it to me, I'll, you know, what do you want? Well, give me your birthright. You know, like, what a, what a crazy thing to exchange. But once again, Esau was more focused on the, the temporal, on the natural than he was the spiritual. And even though he tried to get it back, he could not do it, even with tears, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us. In other words, he had forfeited his privilege to, to uh, uh, accept what God had given him as a firstborn to, to be consumed by the God called his stomach. Church, I'm here to tell you right now, greed is no less an issue today. The sin of greed can take you out of the race. Amen? And so, just for a moment, I'm going to read a few scriptures in a minute, but just for a moment, bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about this as you're contemplating what I've shared this morning. As you examine your life this morning, let me ask you, are there things right now in your life that you have put before God? Just examine your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. Are there things in your life that are 
that have been put before God? I mean, are there things that are in your life that are hindering your race? As the Holy Spirit shows you those things, say, God, forgive me for the sin of greed. Lord God, I don't want to put anything ahead of you. I don't want anything to be put before you. God, I don't want anything in my life that would hinder my race with you. See, allow Holy Spirit to show you those things that are not pleasing to the Father. And name it for what it is, it's sin, and ask God to forgive you, to wash you, to cleanse you. Look this way, I'm going to read some scriptures in closing this morning. Let the word of God do its work, because I know it's not going to return to him void. First of all, Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 16, uh, 6, 19 and 20, 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke 2.15, I read it earlier. Then Jesus, he said to them, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Church, wealth is uncertain. But to put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, and to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And then one final passage, Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25 through 34. Jesus, speaking the words are in red, says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Woe, or who of you, he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the, the, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And then Jesus says this, verse 31. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, 
or what shall we wear? Check this out. For the pagans, for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows you need clothes. He knows you need today transportation. He knows you need a roof over. He knows all that stuff. But here it is, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, seek him, don't seek things. Seek him, don't seek things. Don't be a pagan who chases after this stuff. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of the Lord. Let's stand to our feet. Yesterday, in the renewal of marriage vows for John and Marlene, I was reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the Message Bible says, speaking of love, love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Father, I pray today, as we conclude this service, God, that your word would not just rest on our ears, but it would be part of our lives, into our hearts. And just as Paul warned the church at Corinth against the sin of greed, God, may that check be in our own spirits today. And God, help us, God, not to be consumed by greed. And I pray, Father God, that we would love you more than we love stuff. That we love you more than anything. That we would seek you and in your kingdom and your righteousness first and foremost, knowing that all these things will be added unto us as well. And so God, keep our hearts pure and right and straight before you, I pray, that we would heed this warning that Paul gives to the church at Corinth, but to us as well today. I'd probably add so much more to us today, for we do live in a very materialistic society. Lord, help us to learn that we're just passing through. We're strangers, we're foreigners, we're sojourners here. This is not our home. And yet we know that you are preparing an incredible place for us. Thank you for that. God, I thank you once again for your word and the teaching and the proclamation of your word to our lives today, knowing it's not going to return to your void. Lord, help us to live this out now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm hoping that and trusting that God, by faith, has been speaking to your heart about this topic. Like I said, we'll cover more of the sins of Israel next week, looking at rebellion and complaining. We'll get into idolatry as well as uh, immorality as well. But uh, don't let your heart go unchecked. Check your heart and say, God, help me in this area. Because it's a real area. It's a real thing for us today as well. Authors are open. God bless you once again. Thank you for your generosity in bringing all these wonderful things to be a blessing to others. God bless you. Have a super day in Jesus. Amen.